I remember just praying and asking the Lord um, to hold me tight because you just feel like you've lost everything. Welcome back to Candid Conversations. I'm your host, Jonathan Youssef. Parents, today's Candid Conversations podcast is not suitable for younger audiences. Please listen to this episode without little ears around. You may choose to share portions of this interview with your children, but please listen to it first. Today we will continue a conversation we started last week on suicide, an issue most of us have personally been impacted by in some way, myself included. In our last podcast, Dr. Bill Davis joined us to offer both theological and philosophical insight into the issue of suicide. He also shared his thoughts about the Netflix series, 13 Reasons Why, and its impact on younger generations. If you get a chance, go back and listen to episode 15 of Candid Conversations. In this episode, I want to introduce you to Laura. She is a good friend and a former colleague who lost her mother to suicide. She has agreed to share her story today to help people understand the reality of suicide, the impact on those left behind, and to provide words of love and hope to those who are struggling. We'll also talk to a seasoned counselor, Rand Eberhardt, who has walked with countless people through their struggles with suicidal thoughts. He will help guide us in how to respond if we are struggling ourselves or if we are walking alongside someone considering death by suicide. First, let's let Laura share her story. I grew up in a Christian home, and I accepted Christ as my Lord and Savior at the age of 12, and that's when I really developed a knowledge that I need Him. I cannot go through life without Him at the center. And um, I learned how to pray and seek the Lord, and I saw Him answer great prayers, and I saw Him at work in my life in a very real way. It was around that same time that my mother was diagnosed with lupus, and she had been dealing with chronic pain, and that was tough on all of us to see. Um, And she dealt with that in a very private way. And then one afternoon, life just completely changed. It was a normal day, and I came home from school, and I heard um, an alarm clock going off, and my mother had worked the night shift as a nurse, and... It was not unusual for her to be sleeping when I got home from school, and I went in her room um, to wake her up because of the alarm clock that I heard, and she would not wake, and I threw back the sheets, and I knew that she was gone. Laura was just 17 years old and days away from graduating. I have that traumatic image of my mother's lifeless body. Um, And for a good while after her passing, every time I shut my eyes, that's all I saw. So I was dealing with a great deal of grief, but also a tremendous level of trauma associated with how she died. And I think people often don't think about what happens after they take their lives. They see 
you know, an ending to their pain, but they don't think about the loved ones that they leave behind and what they're left to deal with. And it's incredibly heartbreaking. And it's got to be one of the hardest things to cope with. One of the things Laura emphasized to me was how traumatic it was to find her mother's body. Not only was she dealing with the sudden death of her mother, she was coping with the resulting trauma. So after my mother's death, I found myself consumed with thoughts of grief and despair. And that is when I began to have thoughts of suicide. And the only reason at the time that I did not follow through was because I did not want someone to find the body because the discovery of her body was so traumatic to me. Um, The reality is that, you know, that kind of saved me. (laughs) Um, I got through that hump and um, sometimes all I could do was just to wake up and encounter the day and that's all I could do. And I just was trying to get through each day and You know, the timing of her suicide was 10 days before my senior graduation from high school, and I was supposed to attend college that fall, and I literally would go to classes and forget what we were learning, and I would forget, I'll never forget, I had a group um, assignment, and I showed up one day, and my team was like, "Uh, where is your work? And I'm the most organized person (laughs) you'll ever meet. Um, But I could not fulfill my commitments. And that was something I saw a few years after she passed. I think it's important to stop here and address a common misconception that a suicidal person fits a certain mold. I asked Rand and Laura about this. A suicidal person doesn't have a default look or an appearance that's predictable. This happens to high-profile business people, uh, happens to sports athletes, uh, famous people, people, even pastors, uh, as we've seen recently in the news. Um, People that you assume have their base needs in life met and some don't necessarily have their lives put together in such a way that hope is greater than hopelessness. My mother was a believer. She was 46 years old. She had been married 24 years and was a successful registered nurse. She loved the Lord, loved her family, um, but she was quietly suffering and never disclosed that to anyone. Um, looking back now, I can see she she was one of those people that wanted everything to look good on the outside, but she was struggling on the inside. And it came as a very big shock to our family when she took her life. Laura went through the darkest days of grief and trauma for a year and a half. During this time, she prayed for the Lord to hold on tightly to her. I asked her when the darkness lifted. I remember I did not have a place to live at that time, and I was sleeping in my best friend's closet, believe it or not. (laughs) And again, I could not fulfill my job as a student. And so I had withdrawn from college and was, I believe I was waiting tables at the time just to make some money. And it was late one night after a shift and I was sitting on a dark patio, staring into darkness, (laughs) just alone with my thoughts. And I remember this vivid feeling of 
needing to ask the Lord to release me of all of those thoughts. And it was almost as if Satan was really pulling me not to. I don't know how to even describe it, but it was the words were hard to come out of my mouth, but I did say it out loud and it took time. And I literally shook and felt just a total release and cleansing almost from everything that I was kind of burying down and and trying to deal with. And it was in that moment that I heard God and I feel like he, he said to me, you know, I sift all things through my hands, good, bad, ugly, yucky. Um, nothing is hidden from my sight. And in that moment committed uh, my heart to him again and asked him to continue to work in me. And it wasn't until four and a half years after my mother's death that I got counseling. And that was through our local church. And the counselor that I saw had a son that had taken his life. And so she knew as well the complex nature of that kind of death. As Laura shared, it reminded me of encouragement Rand gave to survivors of suicide. This sad circumstance is not at all your fault. So do not beat yourself up, but rather go through the process of laying your heart before the Lord and mourning the loss of your loved one and do everything you can to understand God's love for you, to be comforted by his love. And when the time is right, go out and be the voice of hope for others that are dealing with living in the midst of survivors of suicide. There will come a day where that person's life is set on pilgrimage, as described in Psalm 84, verse 5. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, who have set their hearts on pilgrimage. There comes a day when, in fact, the the person that survives the suicide is set on pilgrimage and is part of a testimonial, a proclamation of hope amidst the storm, and they glorify God in that. When we have received a level of healing, the Lord uses our suffering and the comfort we receive in our suffering to offer hope to others. It may not be a journey we would choose for ourselves, but God uses it. As we have planned for this episode, a common question that arises is, what do I say to someone who has lost a loved one to suicide? Sometimes people don't say anything because they don't know what to say. I asked Laura what was helpful, but also what was hurtful when she was grieving her mother's death by suicide. We all need to be transparent. And one thing that you could say is um, just to cut the ice immediately and say, I I hope I don't say the wrong thing, but I care about you and I love you and I want to walk alongside you. How can I pray for you? What can I do for you? You know, someone once said to me, I'm so sorry to hear about your mother's passing. I didn't know that she was not a Christian. And at the time, that really gutted me um, because it was far from the truth. My mother was a believer. Um, If you would look at her Bible, (laughs) she was one of those like it was flagged and beaten up and torn. I mean, she really sought after the Lord. 
But at the end of the day, she could not see past herself and her own suffering. And unfortunately, she made that decision and God was not done with her yet. And looking back at this now and speaking with you, I can see just things that the Lord has shown me and taught me. And, you know, sometimes it's you want to say, God, that's enough. That's enough. My mom died. You know, I found her body. That's too much trauma. You know, that's got to be it for life as far as my suffering. You know, it should be good from here. And that's just not the case because, you know, Scripture says in this world, you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. And that is the truth. And Christ knew suffering when he was here on earth. And the Lord has been so gracious to me. Um, I did have periods where I was not mindful of him in my youth. And and I do think that has something to do with the age um, that I was when my mother passed away. And, you know, I sought out things that I am ashamed to say, but I was promiscuous for a time period. I just did not know how to care for myself, even though I was so self-focused. I asked Rand the same question, and he shared a resource and a counseling approach they offer survivors. One author of a book that we give out for those that are survivors of suicide, in fact, it's called Surviving a Suicide. At the church, we give survivors of this tragedy uh, a book. And in the book, the author writes, not only did they lose their life, but part of mine was lost with them as well incredibly painful to and scary to know how to show up in someone's life when um, they might be experiencing the greatest tragedy, the most sad period of their entire lives in that moment. Uh, but simply being the ministry of presence, as we call um, the pastoral work, is showing up and just being available and being with them in that pain without some incredible uh, quote or word, but knowing that part of their lives has, in fact, been altered forever. Rand has also experienced a profound loss in his own life when he lost his brother, and he shares what helped him personally. I've never experienced the depths of pain and sorrow and grief, not even close um, to that point. And thankfully, I was, I was walking with the Lord and knew where to take uh, the burdens of the heart. But it wasn't until eight years after the fact that I had the opportunity to sit down and write a prayer of lament, which, as you know, Jonathan, is a kind of a lost spiritual discipline and a yeah. biblical thing. I sat and wrote a prayer of lament. And after I wrote it out, I read it in front of a small group of, of people and it accessed in my heart the depths of pain that had been pushed away for eight years. And I medicated the pain of life and busyness and ministry and good things. Um, but it accessed in my heart this cascade of sorrow that flowed from deep within me for the next 48 hours. And that was the most incredible work of the Holy Spirit I may have ever experienced in my life outside of um, uh, being regenerated in Christ. So I encourage any of the listeners to create space to really pursue what is lament 
and maybe even going to the Psalms to truly understand how a person cries out to God in adoration and a full range of emotion and anger, but yielding to the Lordship of Christ, knowing that only he can restore and regenerate and repurpose us back to his plan. In closing, I asked Laura how the loss of her mother has shaped her life and how she would encourage someone who is struggling with suicidal thoughts. It's certainly a giant stamp on my timeline. If you look at your life as a whole and you and you see it kind of on a timeline, it, it was before she died and after she died. And, you know, the Lord has been so gracious to me, seeing me through um, just those really, really dark periods. He has since answered prayer after prayer. He blessed me with a very, very sweet, tender husband. We met at church, um, and he's just a godsend to me. Um, But it was three years into our marriage when um, I became pregnant, and we were so excited, and I was working here alongside you, and it was at that 20-week anatomy scan where the doctors told me that Owen had a very large cyst on his brain and that he would have a very grim uh, life if he even made it past birth. And we were um, heavily pressured, to be quite frank, to um, interrupt the pregnancy is what they called it, but to terminate my pregnancy. And we had a four-week time period where it was still legal. If there was medical reason, it was still legal for four weeks. And we were pestered for four weeks in a very cold way. Um, But at the end of the day, even through that, releasing that to the Lord and that heartache and disappointment of knowing that I'm going to have a child that is not going to be a typical child like like other kids, um, it's through that that I said, you know what, the Lord determines our first breath and he determines our last breath. And we did not know if he would make it past birth, and he certainly did. And he's still here with us today, and he's six years old, and it's been hard. Every single day has been hard. Um, but I'm not going to give up. God is not done writing this story. And You know, that's what I want people to know when they are struggling with thoughts of suicide is let God have reign over those thoughts. Even if you can just say, you know, God, help me. Why do I feel this way? Just have that open dialogue with him because nothing is hidden from him. You can talk to him (laughs) through prayer just like you would anyone else and, you know, wrestle with those things with him. We were all impacted by Laura's story and how God has formed a fierce and a protective heart for life from her profound loss. She mentioned that suicide is shrouded in so much shame that few people share the truth of what happens after you lose a loved one to suicide. She came on Candid because she believes it is important for people to have an honest and an accurate view of the grief and trauma left behind. Now, I want to share a little more of my conversation with Rand. As an experienced counselor, 
I asked him the best way to help those who are suicidal. Change doesn't occur as a result of force, facts, or fear tactics. You can't force change in the life of another, a son, a daughter, a friend, a sibling, a spouse. Um, You can't present statistics that convince them cognitively to come to terms with their unmet needs or their 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 desires um, you can't scare them into a surrender the person who is struggling with uh, hopelessness and suicide has to be willing to receive help and if you are in fact willing to receive help then you need family or a pastor or a friend or someone in place that can help you carry out a pathway to peace a strategic game plan that sets you up for success and freedom. And when I help people draw up such strategies, I build in the four areas um, that are based in clinical counseling, but also adding the, the spirituality component. It's psychologically, sociologically, and biologically, just health and wellness in general. And the fourth is spiritually. What are the things that are creating a struggle And of those four areas, what is bringing life and hope and optimism? And if you don't have an answer, a positive answer to the four, that's where I would help a person design a plan where they can, in fact, see success and hope in those four areas. Mm -hmm. My encouragement to you is to be fair, but be firm in your love. Be realistic, but also be unapologetic about your willingness to follow through with accountability and urgency towards surrendering and moving your loved one towards the pathway to peace. A pathway to peace. It sounds like a good assessment for everyone, doesn't it? Are you pursuing peace in each area of your life? Physical, social, psychological, and spiritual. Is your hope resting in Christ? As someone who is struggling or even someone who is not, It's a good thing to keep in mind. Statistics show that those who do not receive counseling are 18 times more likely to commit suicide than those who do. Every professional we talked to said getting licensed counseling was vital for someone struggling with suicidal thoughts. I asked Rand about the role the church plays in ministering to those struggling with suicide, and I asked him to highlight what the church has done well and not so well. Many churches tend to avoid issues like this because fear of maybe liability to some degree, feeling ill-equipped and not really knowing how to restore someone in such a high-risk condition, uh, which both falls under a liability area as well. Um, But also, you can't just look at the positives of the Christian life and assume that the negatives don't matter as long as you emphasize the positive. Uh, Because even the good believer, the sons and daughters of God who live their lives um, with fear and adoration of the Lord can still struggle with depression and and suicidal ideation. Um, But the, the churches that bring this into the light and are willing to create confessional spaces uh, like Living Waters at Church of the Apostles, where I serve, um, and having events as we have these past two years, the hope and healing emphasis of bringing in a professional from a clinical community to speak to anxiety, depression, addiction, 
suicide, preventable death, and having some form of integration with the professional community and a strong theology that presents God in an accurate light, that people can truly understand the importance of uh, a heart set before God, uh, willing to receive truth, be transformed by it, and live into the world as evidence of a redeeming God that loves. Suicide can take many forms, an active, violent attempt to end your life, or a prolonged death through substance abuse and high-risk behavior. I asked Rand how many people who seek help are set free from the suicidal thoughts, and he commented, most. And he shared this story of hope with us. About a year ago, um, December, a young person locally uh, who had been formerly had been one of my students, went to one of the schools here in Atlanta, came to me with a bottle of pills he had obtained illegally in his pocket. And he was addicted to these pills and wanted to finish the bottle um, in spite of the fact that he had a seizure, almost died, in spite of the fact that each weekend involved, in one case, an ambulance ride. Uh, uh, he nearly lost his life a number of times, though he didn't sit down with a violent plan to end his life. He certainly set out to um, live in such a way that things could end. So he came to me and asked that I would help, and I asked him to give me the pills. He was unwilling to do that, and he went away, and he came back a week later and realized that his life was totally out of control. And he was, in fact, going to die because he almost did die at a, at a family vacation just a few months prior to this. And I interceded in his life, and I told him how God views him. And I told him about his created purpose and that God did, in fact, have a plan for him. And though his mind was in the way of his heart, he was unwilling to truly let the love of God transform him in the moment, he was willing to entertain the idea that maybe there is a higher plan for my life than what I'm able to author independent of God himself. So he, he said, you know what, I will follow through with your suggestion to get out of my own way, so to speak, and go into this program. And he went to the program and just this morning, he called me almost a year later, but we've talked a number of times prior to this morning. He called me this morning to celebrate the fact that he is almost a year sober and he's living life. He no longer has any form of suicidal tendency, ideation, um, hopelessness. And at his age, mid-20s, he, he is, in fact, part of a minority in that he's not set out to drink heavily or... Um, participate in things that would create delay in his life. He's living in such a way that God gets the glory and he has been set free from this, this willful ambition to live any way he wants to, and high risk included. I hope there has been something helpful in these last two episodes of Candid Conversations, both an encouragement to those struggling with suicidal thoughts to seek help, some words of insight for those who are 
walking along someone struggling, as well as comfort for those who have lost a loved one, you are not alone. If you are personally struggling with suicidal thoughts, please reach out to someone. If you are involved in a church, please contact your pastor. If you're not connected with a church, please call the National Suicide Prevention Hotline at 1-800-273-TALK. That's 1-800-273-8255. Or visit suicidepreventionlifeline.org. Candid is a podcast from Leading the Way with Dr. Michael Youssef. If you have questions about today's episode or you would like to connect with us, visit ltw.org slash candid. I'm your host, Jonathan Youssef. Thanks for listening.